Sebastian, how are you today? Very good. Thank you very much, Chris. And and obviously, I for Compass, I know there's several locations the business is in: Tel Aviv, Amsterdam, Copenhagen, and Berlin. one other Berlin, Berlin, Berlin. And I imagine you may be in one of them, or maybe not. Uh, I'm I'm not. No, I'm in Munich. Uh, I just uh, <laughs> on uh, your way to one of them. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. I'm on the way back to Amsterdam. I uh, uh, I spent some time in Munich and Zurich this week, uh, attending NOAA and then uh, attending one of our board meetings, uh, one of our portfolio companies board meetings, which uh, which was uh, a really good experience. So, uh, so yeah, I do spend quite a lot of time uh, on the road. Um, we have uh, uh, a model where we cover different areas uh, and maybe I can take a step back and talk yeah, a little bit about be, be, Compass. I have uh, I have a vested interest in ensuring that uh, that Britain is doing well. I have uh, two passports now. Uh, I lived huh? uh, okay. more than 20 years in the UK. I came uh, in 96 when uh, Britain uh, and, and London in particular was just this incredible melting mm. pot and uh, you know, cool Britannia, new labor. Uh, there was a lot going on there. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, I, I was, of course, uh, a little bit sad uh, to see uh, the turn that, that things have taken. But uh, but it is still a very, very vibrant ecosystem. And, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, I do spend quite a lot of time still in, in, in London, of yeah. course. Yeah. Well, you, you obviously work brought you to London and previous role in another VC or was that yeah, a different so, uh, No, I uh, actually the first the first job I had was at MTV. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I was an intern at, at MTV at Oxford Street and then spent some time at Holy Crescent as well, um, mm-hmm. which was was pretty wild, pre-university. And then uh, <laughs> uh, I, I went up uh, and uh, studied at Cambridge, um, uh, read my... So you went from there. MTV, which I uh, hasten uh, to add, for some of the viewers and listeners, I'd probably say that, was that in the... In the mid nineties or late nineteen ninety six, nineteen ninety six, yeah. So then, if you think of like how hot TikTok is, or how, to, especially at the moment for consuming musical content or or advertising, MTV was that on TV. Yes. I would say it was sort of super the cool. Kingmakers of of music when they for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's still going, yeah. isn't it? But I mean, it's quite a funny jump though, Sebastian. Going. MTV to Cambridge. I mean, <laughs> kind of somewhat of a <laughs> switcheroo. <laughs> but I, 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 I always. I mean, I wanted to become a journalist, and I, I was always um, super keen of, of of working in the media industry. Um, uh, I'd actually interned at an advertising agency just after school, and then uh, managed to secure this internship at MTV. And uh, you know, I, I, I went, I went. Uh, uh, to the UK to study history to then eventually, you know, enter a media organization. Um, it all didn't quite work out like that. Uh, although I did, you know, spend quite a lot of time in the media industry uh, in, in in various roles. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I think I think the motivation was really to uh, to do a degree that would sort of you know pave the way into journalism. Um, uh, but of course, journalism itself has gone through to quite a big transformation over the last uh, you know 20 odd years or so so uh, <laughs> yeah very very interesting cool okay well thanks for that so look just a uh, reference point we always do this for um 
listeners we are currently on the 9th of december i should remember that because it's my wedding anniversary today um and i haven't seen my wife oh thank you it's 16 years silver apparently so an expensive one um so uh, and i haven't actually seen my wife this morning because she was at a big swanky do in the cotswolds um I got I got a, a a happy anniversary from my um eleven year old daughter, which was nice. My sons mm. just couldn't even be bothered to say anything, but <laughs> sons. Uh Celebi. Anyhow, look, less of my bleating. Um so for people um who are unfamiliar with compass, um it's it's good to sort of get a quick download. Um Obviously, great website, seeing that, lays it out very succinctly. But, you know, I suppose you've been at NOAA. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular trend that you're focused on at the moment? I, I know you focus on three key areas. Mm-hmm. Any one of any one of those three particularly in vogue at the moment? Or in general, you know, you're looking towards 2023 with an open mind and managing the portfolio and also looking to do some investments. So I suppose, yeah, if you could just give us a... A sort of general overview of where you are at the moment. Sure. <clears throat> um, let, let's probably st- take a step back and, and, and quickly summarize for your listeners, you know, who we are and what we do. So, so we are an early stage venture capital firm, uh, and as you said, with offices in Amsterdam, Berlin, Copenhagen, and, and Tel Aviv. Um, we are very focused on um, funding uh, sort of innovation uh, that accelerates digital transformation and the decarbonization of the building and manufacturing industry. So, we are really a specialist fund. Uh, with a sector focus, um, uh, and across those two industries, really look at at you know anything that enhances the sustainability of those industries, or really accelerates the digital transformation. Um, we tend to to invest in seed and Series A between you know one and five million um, euros as a first ticket. Um, the fund, the first fund, uh, uh, has one hundred thirty five uh, million euros in in capital. Um, there are three partners, uh, Talia, uh, who's based in Tel Aviv, and Andreas, who's based in Berlin, um, and I'm the managing partner, um, managing the Amsterdam office uh, as well, taking over responsibility for, for the fund. Um, we um, uh, really kind of try and, and do our small bit to um, reduce emissions, um, which are a significant challenge uh, within the building and construction industry. Um, you know, if you want to transition towards a net zero carbon economy, you know, um, uh, you can't really get around uh, the building industry in particular. Forty um, percent of our CO two emissions, are in one way or another, associated with globally associated with with that sector. So, um, driving down emissions, reducing waste, um, you know, promoting circularity. Um, uh, these are really, really important topics. Um, if if we if we really want to get somewhere um, with um, you know our net zero targets, and so this is a really, really rich and rewarding field in many ways. It's a it's a massive challenge, uh, but massive challenges also bring with them great investment opportunities, and we see such a flurry of of activity uh, in this space. Um, you were asking me about some of the trends we are spotting in the moment. Um, there's a lot of um, focus uh, we have on uh, industrial automation, on supply chain management, uh, and in the built environment in particular, you're looking at advanced materials, uh, at ways to basically um, really replace um, 
traditional materials like cement uh, and concrete, for example, uh, with more sustainable uh, materials. Um, there are some amazing companies out there who are doing uh, really sophisticated work uh, to to improve those materials and and just ensure that the industry is is developing a better track record and and isn't quite the sort of you know polluter that that it is today. Mm. Okay, so that's all very positive, Sebastian. Thank you. Um, I suppose I'm kind of going to drill into a bit of the areas of grey here. Um, mm -hmm. largely because I've kind of in the last four to six months started to pick up on a bit of a trend uh, where sustainability, climate tech, buildings, construction tech, whichever way you, you spin the whole piece is very on vogue. Mm -hmm. And when it went and quote unquote, big data ai um machine learning data science um all those big buzzwords sas that you know you could probably draw a line in a year in each of the last six or seven years where they've become the top thing that all of a sudden 30 or 40 percent extra founders suddenly appear in those areas because uh -huh. oh that's where the money is all of a sudden um uh -huh. now, what i'm starting to pick up on a bit is exactly that in your world of where you invest uh, more broadly in climate tech i uh -huh. would add in renewables and and lots of mobility um so i would argue are you seeing a sort of influx of supply um, because people are thinking, oh, I should focus on this area because we've got a much higher chance of becoming superstar founders and making some amazing tech? Um, or am I being facetious here? Well, I mean, I mean, if 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 your if your assumption is that every startup is a vanity project, then uh, then you know. Uh... Uh, that might be a way to look at it, but I I do think that um, you know you look at the the, the current generation of founders you know uh, millennials Gen Z um, and you know they're deeply concerned. My 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 nine year old daughter is deeply concerned about you know the the state of uh, the world and the state of the planet. And of course you have an environment where you suddenly have this convergence of policymakers and regulation. Um, you have really quite finite targets, you know, um, that need to be met in order to uh, achieve policy goals. And uh, everyone suddenly understands there's a huge discrepancy between our aspirations and where we actually are. Uh, and to bridge that gap, you know, you need to innovate. Um, and it's a, it's a, in that sense, once in a lifetime opportunity um, to really concentrate um, your resources on trying to solve this challenge. And that's really what's driving uh, the investment. The private sector has a role to play here. The public sector is playing a very, very significant role. You look at some of the legislation in the US, um, the Biden anti-inflation uh, pact, for example, you look at what uh, the EU uh, is doing with the EU Green Deal, the amount of resources that are made available uh, in order to um, uh, accelerate the transition to net zero. Uh, that is a very, very benign environment to be to be creating uh, a company uh, into. And I think that that is really what's driving, um, you know, the kind of uh, reallocation, if you like, of resources you're seeing in the moment. 
Um, that said, I think um, it's also important to understand there are probably two types of businesses here, right? So um, we are very much focused on um, existing technologies applied to specific sectors. So, so we are not trying to reinvent uh, or do you know very foundational investments in breakthrough technologies, whether it's artificial intelligence or fusion or what have you. You're really looking for those sector-specific applications. How can you use AI to you know, improve uh, a construction site? How can you uh, use AI in order to uh, improve a, a material discovery process? Um, so so we are, in, in that sense, um, uh, are not sort of, you know, moonshot investors. We are really looking for very, very practical applications for very practical problems. Um, then you have a second set um, of uh, investments, uh, you know, thinking about energy generation and fusion as an example, um, these are really big bets uh, and quite binary bets. Um, no one is quite sure, is it going to uh, work or not? Um, uh, and and that, there's a particular type of investor uh, going after these these sort of big bets. Uh, that's not us, uh, I, have to, I have to add. Um, but we certainly see uh, people are making quite brave decisions. Um, and, and I think that's a good thing uh, overall. <laughs> now, is there... Sorry, Sebastian, I'll stop you there. Would you say that on that latter point, it's more strategics or corporate VC or um, private equity coming down the pipe that uh, are trying to to do the big projects? Yeah. Because clearly, you know, these are going to need funding of many, many millions for yeah. many, many years, I imagine. Um, no, I think... I think um... It is actually not too dissimilar a picture from from what we've seen in previous sort of you know um, uh, technology waves, if you like. You know, I, I think top of the pile are the big U.S. funds. You know, um, they've always had that capacity to to really uh, invest into potential paradigm shifts, whether it's in mobility, whether it's in energy generations, and to take these really big and bold bets. Um, there are a few, uh, a very very small number of funds. Um, uh, that are doing this in in Europe. Um, you know, you you have over the past few years seen you know quite significant bets by the likes of Atomico, for example. Um, so you have you have a handful of of investors who, uh, if you like, um, have the the risk appetite and and mentality to follow to follow to follow that path. Mm. But I think uh, within European venture capital. Um, uh, it's still pro broadly true, I would say, that people are a little bit more focused on solving slightly more practical problems. Um, uh, and uh, you know, corporate VC uh, is is an in interesting point uh, in the moment. I think that the sort of um, crossover investors, uh, whether it's corporate VC or others, who have certainly played their part in in twenty one uh, and and before. Uh, there's a little bit of retrenchment there, so so you know we'll see how that how that plays out. Um, so would uh, a would a good example of the U.S. type of fund that you're talking about making these sort of binary moonshot type bets be like lower carbon capital by Chris Saka? I don't know if you've yeah um, yeah yeah that, that that's that's certainly what I mean. Look, um, uh, you know we we have we have made a few. Um, uh, we've made a couple of European investments in the U.S. There's a there's a fund um, which I think really really uh, uh, is a is a fantastic example of this. They're uh, called Ed One Ventures. Um, uh, the founder of Ed One Ventures is one of the the people who set up Google X. 
and he's thinking big and and you know his 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 vision uh, of the world and the way he approaches um technology that's um you know that's that's quite an incredible mindset and you know we always when we talk to him you know feel quite quite inspired and i think that's that's really still something that uh makes the us an exceptional um ecosystem um that's something that we need a little bit more of i think in in europe you know really really the sort of the bold visionaries who are also uh commanding the resources and have the track records to to ensure that at least some of those bets pay off Hmm. Who are you referring to there, Sebastian? Which person? Uh, Tom Chi. Okay, and and he's the founder of Ed One Ventures. And one, they're based where? Ed One. Ed One. Take a look at their at their website and their portfolio. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. I I personally think you know they're an incredible fund. Um, uh, I have. co-invested with one of the partners in Ascent Elements, which is a is a bit big battery recycling uh, company mm-hmm. now that's doing incredibly well. Um, and they they are really sort of really trying to push the frontier um, in many ways, which uh, which is really admirable. So so I think you know through through interactions with funds like this, we we clearly also um, strive to to ensure that you know our own minds uh is 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 continuously expanding and we are not we're not too blinkered so i i have um listeners i believe at 100 treasury street which is our beloved government and yeah. the many different departments what, what sort of rocket do we need to fire into that building excuse the pun um yeah. definitely a metaphor for anybody listening. yeah Probably a poor one, actually. Maybe Christmas cracker is a better one as we're yeah. coming up to Christmas. Which, what, what do we pull? Which Christmas cracker? It will, you know, from your experience of the Nordics and Netherlands, yeah. what, what do we need to copy? Yeah, there are two, two things that I think are really, really important. Uh, the first one is you have to find a way to incentivize landlords to really care about energy consumption. In the moment, you have basically uh, a situation where the energy bill is paid by the tenant. Uh, it's not paid by the landlord. So the landlord has very, very little incentive to invest into the property uh, in order to push down the tenant's bills, right? So if you find a way to uh, shift the burden or at least part of the burden, um, so it, it it sort of stings the landlord a little bit more um, if the house isn't insulated, you know, uh, and if if uh, uh, whatever fuel is being used uh, gets terribly expensive, as is currently the case. You know, you need to ensure that there's a real incentive to 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 create a better building and a more efficient building, and that is currently not the case in 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 the rental space. So that's that's one aspect. I think the other aspect is if you are a homeowner. Um, I think at this point, given the the cost of energy, there is probably already quite a strong incentive, you know, if you have the means and resources to think about uh, how you can potentially insulate your house better, you know, mm. replace your, your blazing and so on. Um, there's a lot of historic building stock in the UK. Uh, I think some of the uh, conservation laws um, need to be uh, potentially reviewed in terms of what you can do without uh, obviously ruining the, the sort of cultural heritage. Um, but I think there's a little bit more progressive thinking required there. Um, but most importantly, you really need a, a a way to equip or give people access to the resources 
that are needed to to make the investment into improving you know the existing building stock and i think they're uh, you know given the current interest rate environment the the way house prices are headed it's not a easy equation anymore as it might have been a few years back to put a little bit of money in your house because you know you're going to always be able to sell it for a higher price later so mm -hmm. so making the sort of investment case used to be quite easy uh but it's become much much more hard now and i think that is something that i would be concerned about if i were the treasury um how how can i get investment into the sector uh and incentivize mm -hmm. um homeowners to really make the investment despite these really challenging macroeconomic conditions okay great great advice thanks for that um i hope they're listening um so spinning around a bit um back to the sort of actual mechanics of the fund uh mm -hmm. it's the first fund it's the it's the first fund yeah. fully deployed um how many companies invested in yeah. um potentially next next year maybe investing in another five ten yeah just a, a bit of shape for for avid Absolutely. founders who are impressed yeah. by sebastian and, and want to yeah. kind of hunt you down and and ask you to write them a check yeah very good they're very welcome to um so uh so we we are um one third deployed um uh from the initial pool of capital uh, so we have set about 40% aside of the fund for follow-on investments, but out of that sort of, you know, uh, 60%, we have deployed about one third. Um, uh, and we've done 10 investments, uh, over the last, uh, year or so. Um, and we're just going to announce actually our next one, um, next week. Um, so, so we will probably continue to invest at that pace, um, about 10 deals per year um uh and our sort of deployment period will end uh at the end of uh, 24 and and we are thinking about going out and raising the next fund at some point q4 next year obviously we'll have to um look a little bit at um you know how the the, the general uh, fundraising environment is shaping up uh but that is sort of our roadmap in the moment be roughly you can you can sort of you know um say roughly speaking we we invest about 25 million per year um out of that sort of you know part of initial checks and then of course the follow-on investment uh comes out of the, the remaining 40 percent so between 25 and 30 million per year okay so you know the area you're in two two more sort of specific areas i want to drill into um are the valuations starting to become a bit crazy or are they sensible? The high uh, premium, then, right? <laughs> yeah. And then the other aspect is I'm really impressed by what you've told us today, Sebastian. Naturally, we the VC industry is still growing. It's still growing fast. I still get, you know, an email probably every week from a new 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 fund could could we meet or we, we do this or a press release on someone which is great and i really like that but i don't think i've seen many as specifically focused as as you good sales which is is a good thing because you pro probably can clean up on the better businesses but i suppose the question here or the second question is do you expect more competition for for, for the investments that you're going to be making going forward Mm -hmm. So um, there are there are sort of you know two types of deals we see. Um, there is 
the really difficult tech and the complex tech. Um, and uh, you know, to give you an example, there's a company in, in the UK which is working on a, uh, a low carbon uh, cement, which involves quite complex technology. Uh, it's hardware, it's a conservative industry um, and bringing that type of product into the market um, is not without its its challenges. And it's the type of business that we really like um, with an incredible founder, but it's not to everyone's taste. And, uh, you know, if you're a generalist fund, um, you might not look at this as the highest priority um, when you're thinking about how you deploy your capital. So there's definitely merit in being a specialist and, and, and looking at companies where you probably don't have quite the same level of competition that you may have for a you know highly scalable, um, super popular, uh, you know, uh, a fintech company or whatever it might be. Uh I suppose if we were to sort of look at a few things that would be a mixed shift in twenty three, um, I suppose more positive news flow from tech would help naturally. I suppose on a bigger picture, some kind of resolution of of Ukraine and normalization of of uh, energy, and then I suppose commentary from my old friends at Bloomberg more about it's a softer landing than yeah. than people had expected. And then I suppose if you you know you draw the line, it always takes twelve to eighteen months to work through into people's pockets. Obviously, even. Uh, the Munich, so traveling. I imagine airport. Guessing. Um, uh, I and... am. I am. I, I am at the airport. Although I wish I would be at the right. train station. Um, uh, but that's a different debate altogether. Okay. You need more uh, high speed rail. You're being hit by the the lovely weather that we seem to have uh, here in the UK, which is pretty arctic at the moment. Um, but I was just going to ask. Uh, fun. Uh, fun outside of. Compass is it kids family um, watching football because obviously we're about to <laughs> see the mighty oh, yes. World Cup big big uh, game coming finals. living out now? historic battles. <laughs> yeah. um, I, won't, so, I won't mention anything about your your country, but um, any uh, any uh, any. I remember, I've got two passports now, so I can also cheer for the for, for England. So uh, which of course well, we'll do well, we'll do tonight. So um so no I look I mean I'm uh, I live I live ten minutes uh, uh, from the sea uh, uh, in in the Netherlands. I you know I do spend the weekends. Uh, with my family, um, do a little bit of cycling, kite surfing, you know, those types of things. Uh, and and that gives me really a good balance because I do travel quite a lot. I need to cover the Nordics, France, uh, UK, uh, and Benelux. And that means I, I do spend quite a lot of time in the various capitals, um, you know, of those of those regions. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do like food. I really, I really, I really love food. I, that's sort of, you know, one of, of the big passions of my life. And I recently bought a a beautiful record player, uh, and I now build up my my record collection. That is also one of the the, the small joys uh, of my life. Um, Anthony, any anything from you? Yeah, uh, I did actually have two questions that um, we we didn't cover in case we have time or that you find them interesting. Yeah. So I'll just give you give you both of them, and then we can decide if you want to answer them. Yeah. Uh, the first one was being so specialist. Do you see a lot of synergies between the portfolio companies? Do they interact with each other very much? And then the second one was, given the various geographies, 
I was wondering if you could just comment on having to do deals in different cultures, you know, Dutch, German, uh, Israeli, mm -hmm. that sort of thing as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I, I obviously, um, grew up, um, or, or spent the, the, the second part of my, my life in, in, in the UK for the most part and in the US. Um, and until very recently, I'd never really done a transaction in, in Germany. Um, and, I since I've been doing that, uh, my admiration for the Anglo-Saxon way of doing things has just uh, grown infinitely because, of course, what makes the UK in many ways such a brilliant place to do business is um, the ability to do things digitally, you know, the pragmatism um, uh, as you engage in, in business. Uh, and that is, I'm afraid, um, unfortunately, completely um, absent uh, in, in Germany, um, where you still have a system uh, that is just mind-boggling, where you literally, in order to close a transaction, rather than using DocuSign, um, you, you have to, you know, go to a notary, you have to sit there, you have to read out the documentation. Uh, and it's all terribly complicated and in a rolls paper and what have you. Uh, and it, it really feels okay. And I think it's a it's a it's a sign of a of a uh, sort of bigger malaise that uh, the willingness, um, especially you know, in in Germany, to to really aggressively push um, uh, the digitalization agenda forward, whether it's in uh, in the context of public administration, whether it's you know uh, in the context of private business transaction, just so much more needs to happen. And I think the UK, in many ways, is really a, a benchmark. Uh, as are the Nordics and, and the Netherlands, I should say. I think the other thing that I think is is incredibly powerful and has you know resulted in in the UK being such a such a great tacker is the way early stage investments, angel investments, um, are, are are benefiting from the EIS and SEIS uh, rules, which for the life of me I can't understand why they're not being replicated in 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 Europe. Um, because uh, it means that there's a lot of um, money that is going very, you know, into the ecosystem at a very early stage, um, and and really creates that sort of top of the funnel, um, and that is an incredible um, asset uh, the UK uh, has. Um, if it's now smart about how it continues to be able to get the right talent into the country, you know, I think I think the UK stands a good chance to continue to sort of. Uh, be a leader, um, but uh, but this is certainly something that I found quite striking because I've been, you know, I've grown up in the Anglo-Saxon world um, doing doing business. You know, all of my career pretty much uh, took place in, in the UK or in the US, and and coming back, um, you know, you you kind of see that uh, in certain ways for sure. Um, you know, places in particular like Germany are, are a little bit behind the curve. Thanks for that. Um, and then just one more question for me, uh, being such a specialized thematic fund, do you see a lot of, uh, interplay and synergies between the companies? Do they interact with each other? Is that part of the added value that you guys are bringing? Um, just some comments on that. Yeah. So I think, I think we are still, uh, in an early stage, um, of our portfolio construction. We intend to bring our portfolios companies together for the first time, uh, next year in April in Cambridge. Um, at Cambridge University, and sort of will have a couple of days where uh, we bring them and and uh, our industry network uh, together 
um, to really allow them to to talk peer to peer uh, network uh, and find commonalities, um, whether it's providing advice to each other, say as a marketing product and engineering, uh, or, or general management practices, or whether it's um, actually fostering collaborations. We do have uh, a few companies that could potentially work a little bit more closely uh, with each other, um, but um, you know this this still this still needs a little bit of time to 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 play out and we do our bit to ensure that you know at least the opportunity is there for them to discover um how to potentially collaborate but um it's still a very early stage in that regard hmm. interesting brilliant well thank you so much for your time i know chris has already gone but appreciate you staying on to answer yeah. these these other questions no, thank you very much, Anthony. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good flight.